This is the Extra Innings Podcast. We're going to Extra Innings. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down all the latest with the blue. Hosted by Dodger insider and award-winning reporter. You have one for most entertaining talk show host to listen to while on the way to work. David Vassay. Yeah, welcome to episode one of Extra Innings presented by Corona Extra. Find the fine life, live la vida mas fina. Please drink responsibly Corona Extra beers. So this is our first episode. We are talking more Dodger baseball. And the reason why we're doing this podcast is because you want more Dodger baseball. So we're giving you more content. And Andre Ethier is going to join us every week on this podcast he will be joining us in about uh, 10 minutes or so and we're going to try to do more casual dodger conversation here and we have a couple of different features that we're going to try to incorporate try to give you as much updates on the dodger minor league players the top prospects as much as we can because during dodger talk you know honestly it's about this team that's trying to win a back-to-back world series championship and uh The Dodger farm system is a huge part of their success, but on Dodger Talk, we're so in the moment talking about that night's game, talking about the Major League Club, talking about trades, possible free agents. So, you know, this will give us an opportunity to check in with those players. I I tell these young guys all the time, by the way, uh, that it's so great to talk to them and see them in person because all I see, and I'm sure all you see, is their headshot on a website and statistics on a website, maybe some video now of a, of a highlight home run or a strikeout, but we really don't know who these guys are or how they're getting better until you know it's spring training or they get called up. So I'm really excited to uh, share some of that with you. And Mark Pryor, the Dodgers pitching coach, is going to be part of our Dodgers pipeline segment today to give us his thoughts and impressions on a lot of these young pitchers that really stood up and raised their hand and said, you know what, we're going to be a a factor for you, maybe this year, maybe next year. And you might be surprised by the answer he gave about some of these guys like Ryan Pepio, Nick Robertson, about how close they are to being contributors to the Dodgers major league team. So, I'm looking forward to this podcast. I hope you enjoy it as much as I will enjoy doing it. And um, let's roll with it. Batting leadoff, host of the Extra Innings podcast, David Vassay. All right. You know, recently, a lot of Dodger players, when they come out of games, have been asked whether or not uh, they're getting the vaccine. And all of them, to to a man, has said, that's a personal question and I'm not going to answer it. And I'm like, why wouldn't you answer it? Why wouldn't you say yes or no? If there's nothing to be ashamed about, why wouldn't you say, yeah, I'm going to get the vaccine, or you know what, uh, I'm going to to wait a little bit. I'm going to try to pick the right day that I know I'm not going to play. Uh, I'm going to wait a little bit more to see if there's any more advancements in vaccines before I get it. I just don't understand why Guys are dodging the question. And, and you know what? Uh, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I got my vaccine yesterday, and that's why my voice sounds uh, somewhat uh, deeper and a little bit more sickly than it usually does. 
Uh, I got it two days ago in Simi Valley, and uh, Petros uh, tweeted out a picture of me in front of the Don McLean Monument. The Kaiser uh, Permanente place that I went to uh, to get the vaccine was right near Lemon Park, so I had to go pay homage to my guy, Don McLean, especially with UCLA on this Final Four run. But I should say I'm not sick because of the vaccine, although I did have some of those side effects that they talked about, like chills, soreness. I got over that, um, but part of the reason why I sound a little bit more sick, uh, congested, is because my five-year-old son uh, got sick, and he passed that on to me as well. So I'm not sick because of the vaccine, but I did experience some of those side effects that you heard uh, usually occur, and that's uh, soreness and uh, um, little little tired, and uh, I I would say get the vaccine. I I don't see any problem not to get the vaccine. And you know I don't usually preach or get on some soapbox to say do this or do that. And look, science has proven that they have. Uh, tested these vaccines. They are proven to work to give you 90, 95% protection against COVID-19. And look, we're all just trying to get back to our lives. But going back to the players on dodging these questions, I just don't understand why you would do that. Because when you say that, you're basically not endorsing the vaccine. And you're just leaving it out there when one of these writers tweets out, uh, your comments, your quotes, that it's a personal choice and I'm not going to discuss that, which I respect. I, I wouldn't want somebody asking me every day about the health decisions I'm going to make, but why uh, Why wouldn't you say your feelings on it? Because now you leave it up to ambiguity and a lot of people reading into what your comments are. And Major League Baseball came out and said they're going to relax a lot of these protocols on teams if 85% of the team is vaccinated. So hopefully that happens for everybody. And I just I just was a little taken off guard by how so many of these Dodger players are not answering the questions. I mean, uh, on Twitter the other day, they made a big deal about Magic Johnson and Arsenio Hall getting a vaccine. And the reason why they did that is because they're trying to encourage everybody to go get the vaccine. It's not a coincidence. It was a PR tweet, and they're trying to get people like you and me to follow a Hall of Famer, the greatest L.A. sports athlete, or one of them, uh, and get the vaccine. And I guess Charles Barkley said it right. Athletes are not role models, but a lot of you follow what these athletes do. So I don't agree with uh, you following Dustin May or Mookie Betts and saying, you know what, since they got the vaccine, I'm going to get it. Not in this case. I'm cool with you buying the same shoes, wearing the same batting gloves, wearing the same wristbands. I did that as a kid. Um, but when it comes to the vaccine, uh, the people you should be listening to are the scientists and the doctors, your own doctor. So I don't know. I don't know. It's a it's a weird thing. And I, I just don't see what the harm is to say, you know what? Yeah, I got the vaccine or you know what? I'm going to wait a little bit before I get the vaccine. There's nothing wrong in saying that. I think when you when you leave it out there hanging on the tree and we're supposed to uh, read into your comments, I don't I don't understand what what good that does. Um, another thing I want to hit on is, I guess, somewhat of a 
people making a big deal about Cody Bellinger hitting fourth. What's the big deal about that? That makes all the sense in the world to me. Cody Bellinger's healthy. He had, you know, he had three home runs in spring training. He's ready to go now for the regular season. There, there is no question in my mind. If Cody Bellinger is on this team and he's playing that day, he should hit cleanup. I love the way Dave Roberts is constructing his lineup. I love that he has Gavin Lux hitting eighth to take some of the pressure off of him and you know just let him continue to ride that wave of confidence that he showed during spring training. But I don't see what the big deal about Cody Bellinger hitting fourth is. Uh, uh, writers were making such a big deal that Dave Roberts is having Cody Bellinger hit fourth, Max Muncy's hitting fifth. Yeah, Cody Bellinger's a better hitter than Max Muncy. I will say this about Muncy, though. He is uh, more selective as a hitter, more than Cody is. But having Cody Bellinger hit fourth behind Justin Turner, now you got Mookie, Seager, Turner, Bellinger. You got that left, right, left going on. Plus, you got some speed in the cleanup spot. So when Muncie and Pollock come up, uh, if Cody's on the bases, he's going to score. If Muncie's on the bases, the chances are he is not going to score when Bellinger hits one in the gap. Uh, but I will say this again about Muncie. He's sneaky good. He, I, I, I'll tell you this. I, I, outside of Mookie Betts, I would say the best base runner, the smartest base runner, on the Dodgers is Max Muncy. And I know there's some metrics out there that prove that out to be true, but if you just watch the games, he gets great reads on the baseballs. Uh, he he is a really smart base runner. And uh, sorry, Max, I'm not trying to take anything away from you. Also, everybody's making a big deal about the Dodgers trying to go for uh, a back-to-back World Series championship for the first time in 20 years. And they're trying to, again bring up apples and oranges when it comes to the 1989 Dodgers that tried to repeat after 88. Look, I lived and breathed every pitch of the 88 season and 1989. There were no expectations for the 89 Dodgers to repeat. Nobody thought they were going to repeat. They came into the season, Kirk Gibson was banged up, and he never recovered after those, uh, those injuries that he suffered during the playoffs of 88. He played 71 games in 89. They swapped out Steve Sachs for Willie Randolph. And Steve Sachs is a Dodger 80s legend. And more importantly, in that clubhouse, I was told, brought a lot of energy and a lot of energy on the bases. So they swapped out Steve Sachs for Willie Randolph. They signed Eddie Murray or traded for Eddie Murray. He had a down year that year. Um, They had no offense, no offense. Jeff Hamilton was still their third baseman. Basically, the 89 Dodgers turned into pumpkins as hitters. The pitching was still really good, but the offense, they turned into pumpkins. So uh, there are no parallels between the 2021 Dodgers and the 1989 Dodgers. Just complete, complete apples and oranges. So when you hear that talked about, there is nothing that you could draw upon from the 89 Dodgers to compare to this, uh, to this journey the 2021 Dodgers are going to take uh, this season. My- 
my favorite. Uh, thank you. I'm glad to see you're not wearing khakis. Your favorite. And not everyone holds themselves to a high physical standard around here, but... Uh, Probably not Basset's favorite. I know no one listens to your show, so... <laughs> <laughs> How so, dare you? <laughs> Just kidding. DB is joined by Andre Ethier. Yeah, I'm not sure I like that open, but I know Andre Ethier does. Andre is kind enough to agree to join us every week on the Extra Innings podcast presented by Corona. What do you think about your open, Dre? Yeah, I don't know if I like that either because I don't think that's standing the uh, test of time. Uh, if I'm joining you on a show, is anyone actually going to be listening? <laughs> I think they'll only listen to this segment. All right, all right. Well, that's that's fair enough. Uh if I can get you five more listeners, that's uh, probably probably uh, ten more than you had before, or something like that. So uh, I'm not good at math, but who knows? Who knows what you had listening for you before? But uh, <laughs> we can get you to ten active followers, then we're good to go, right? Yeah, I, I'd appreciate that. Ten more downloads would be fantastic. I, hey, you know what? I never told you this. Uh, we had one of our, I guess, legendary exchanges with each other in the clubhouse before a game. And when I walked up and go on up the escalator back to the press box, Bob Nightingale of USA Today, he's all like, hey, that was uh, very old school. You and uh, Ethier, the way you guys go back and forth at each other. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I, I guess Bob would know, uh, you know, he's been around the game a long time. And, um, you know, that's something I just realized, you know, later on in my career that, uh, you know, media, yourself, the other beat writers, the guys who are out there, um, you know, following our team, following baseball and, you know, being a medium for, uh, you know, from us to the fans and also the ones who are the silent observers sometimes that pick up on these things that um, you look back and you, you are glad they did, whether it's good or bad, just because it's a glimpse and reminder of what it was. And, uh, you know, a lot of credit's owed to, um, you know, yourself and guys like Bob who go out there and, and keep uh, putting that information forward so it allows the fans and everyone to know what's, uh, you know, what's really going on, uh, you know, other than just that uniform ball player out in the field. Jeez, yeah. You know, I, I never thought of myself that way. But, yeah, that's kind of one of my goals is to be a silent observer and to be able to relay that you guys are not just some uh, figment of people's imagination. You're actually real people. Well, yeah, I think, you know, as, as a fan myself, I find myself doing that a, a, a ton, you know, watching games, watching stuff like that. And I got to remind myself, you know, that, uh, you know, there's other things going on. And that's not always the excuse of whether, you know, good or things are going on. It's just a reminder to know, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, other things happening other than that just uniform and that game going on. I know that's their focus. And, you know, it was my focus, too, to go out there and perform and put all those distractions, good or bad, behind you, which you got on the field. Um, and, you know, even beyond that, some of those, you know, interactions that we would have and you'd have with other, you know, players over the years, um, to let them show some of that personality and, um, you know, let it be seen that it's just not the seriousness from 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock, uh, you know, being shown out on the field. It's uh, the fun times. It's the enjoyment of being there at the ballpark. It's those tough times when you're in a 0 for 30 you know, stretch and you're trying to figure things out and you're, you know, you're getting a chance to see how the guy's grinding through it, preparing, um, going through his day to correct, uh, you know, not just, uh, you know, giving fans and, you know, and I'm guilty myself. That guy's not even working hard. He doesn't even care. Well, yeah, he cares. He's doing his work behind the scenes. I just might, might be translating right now, um, but the work's being done. 
I know when you came up, uh, there was a little bit of a divide between uh, the younger players and the veterans. Did you ever have what some of these current Dodgers have, uh, guys like yourself, that kind of helped them through becoming a big leaguer? Did you ever have a veteran that kind of helped you steer through some of these things early in your career? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, my first year there, a great guy for us was Kenny Lofton. Me and Matt Camp when we first came up in 06, and uh, Kenny was only there for one year. Very enlightening. Didn't have anything really profound, but just the way his professionalism was, uh, you know, his advice on, you know, hey, this is your first year. This stuff's going to go by quicker than you know. Uh, you know, have everything in line, whether it's your off the field, your family, your financials everything prepared for this, uh, you know, rocket ship you're going to be on playing in the big leagues. And then as soon as you know the ride's over and you're having to figure out how to, you know, maintain it and, and you know, live your life after this. And I remember him hitting that. And, you're, you know, you're a 24-year-old kid and you're looking at him. I think he was 36 or 37 at the time. And you're saying, oh, yeah, whatever. Um, but look at it now. And I'm close to 39. And um, recalling some of those things he told me and using them as a reference of, yeah, you know, I, I wish I could do that. And, and that's, you know, another segment going further is you know, that's what I like to try to go back and do with the current team now, you know, talking to Dave, a few of the players, what they might need other than the baseball aspect. They got tons of coaches, tons of people around there telling them what's good or not, you know, good, you know, as a baseball player and what they need to do. But I don't think, uh, you know, especially guys on the Dodgers have enough guys telling them, uh, you know, some of the off the field you know, life decisions, whether it's good or bad. And it's not from the point of, you know, trying to point a finger and to be an opinionated on it. It's just hearing what their navigation, what kind of course they're setting for themselves and where they think they're going to go and, you know, be a guy there that can lend, uh, you know, bounce both ends off because you've been there, done it yourself recently. You know, it was really cool for me to watch your career arc. Even when I first started a full time uh, in 2012, being with the Dodgers and seeing you be, uh, in your prime still, and then as you slowly got towards the end of your career, you really became that kind of mentor for a guy like Cody Bellinger. It was really cool to see your, your I don't want to say father-like figure, but yeah, older brother with Cody and guys like Jock Peterson too. Hey, you don't know uh, where to get and fit in, and if you're not uh, the man anymore, and those guys are, um, you got to make sure you can you know, prop those guys up and help those up, not just for yourself, but for the team. Um, you know, that's when those finer goals uh, in your career start really closing. Um, and the finer goals are the championships, you know, getting the World Series, winning a championship, and realize that, um, you know, guys like Bellinger, guys like CT, you know, uh, uh, names that, you know, just years before weren't even, uh, you know, going to be adding to that team are now adding in, in main parts and ingredients to making that team successful. So how can you, as a, you know, not a player, but a, you know, a, a B player on a roster, um, help those guys to achieve and keep consistently going out there and maximize their performance, uh, whether it's, you know, preparation wise, mentally, physically, all that stuff and to keep things light and lighten the mood and, uh, don't let the game, uh, you know, get bigger. The situation get bigger than it needs to, and you know, in those times when you're playing, with, especially with those young guys who are going through it for the first time. I know it happened to me. All right. So, with all that being said, let's talk about young Andre Ethier instead of the old guy Andre Ethier. Uh, we're taping this uh, episode, episode one, the day before opening day. 
So do you remember any opening day that you played in, maybe the first one you ever started in? Or I had a couple in my mind, but I'm just curious, uh, did, do you remember any opening days? The one that sticks out to me, because I remember everyone was up in a fuss, and I think this might have been the Kershaw home run one was, uh, or the O-Dog one, uh, you know, Kershaw home run, one nothing win, or the O-Dog uh, hit for the cycle. But I remember them, and if you remember this, they asked us to come down out of the stands through the crowd oh, yeah. Yeah. to, uh, you know, get onto the field and I'm pretty sure it was against the Giants and I can just remember like standing in one section and it was like predominantly Giants fans and I'm like really like this is our pump up to to get going you know we're standing uh, in down the uh, right field line you know kind of where we played our position in that right field corner uh, you know happened to be predominantly uh, Giants fans that game and I can remember just thinking really this is uh, our opening I got to stand here and wait to get down on the field and it's one of those things where you kind of question it, but, uh, you know, look back and you enjoyed, you know, what it stood for. And then, of course, um, I had a few opening days where my boys were able to accompany me out on the field and stand with me, uh, you know, for the national anthem and the opening ceremonies. And that was great to have them and have those photos of us uh, standing out there in the field together. And then um, I think that biggest one is that Kershaw opening day home run that was uh Kershaw going out there and being at his finest throwing a shutout our offense can't figure out a way to get the you know one run across the you know the board for him and sure enough he comes up and takes care of it all himself in one day with a shutout and a home run and um I don't think there's been a finer performance as a pitcher in the complete game uh than that game right there if you look back at it right I mean um can you name not on opening day pitching opening day or even i mean to do it both sides though you know to hit the game to have the game winning only home run or only rbi and a pitching performance like that i think uh it speaks to the volumes of uh you know the dominance and you know what kershaw means to uh this organization and to baseball in general you know what there's a parallel to that game it was on april 1st 2013 and opening day where he's making his ninth career start is on April 1st, 2021. Wow. How about that? You like that parallel? That's what I'm here for. By the way, you were one for four that day. So I didn't, I didn't totally follow my face. I added, I tried to add this up. the game, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Who was the opening day starter for that game for that, for the Jags? It was Madison Bumgarner. Ooh, yeah, and tough, you still played. I mean, no, I'm sorry, Matt Cain. It was Matt Cain. Oh, yeah, no wonder why I played then. Yeah, that's your guy. That's my guy. If people don't realize this, the guy that Andre Ethier abused the most of any pitcher in his career was Matt Cain. When Matt Cain was on the mound, other hitters probably were like, oh, man, Matt Cain is on the mound, not Andre Ethier. He loved it when Matt Cain was on the mound. Did you ever send him that thank you card after you retired? No, I should, but I, I didn't. I did see him a couple of years ago, and he he wasn't very uh, cordial <laughs> to me. So uh, maybe he still has bad blood. I know I feel good towards him, but I guess he doesn't feel great towards me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I just saw well, you know, the uh, classic righty who threw in into lefties, which you know that's why lefties have a great 
act of dominating right-handed pitching is if you got righties who throw in to lefties into their swing plane, um, that's where it gets, you know, that's where those guys get in trouble. And I think that's where you've kind of seen that switch to righties, especially right-handed pitchers readdressing how they're going to, you know, attack left-handers. And uh, Matt Cain, unfortunately, uh, was before that real adjustment and I was able to take advantage of it. All right, you had 70 at-bats against Matt Cain. You only hit one home run off of him, but you were hitting four. You hit 429. You were 30 for 70 in your career against Matt Cain. Is that good? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. And good thing that he was yeah. in the same division with you, right? Yeah, probably. Uh, I mean, if you average that out over my career, it probably adds a point or two on, on, the, on the career average. So, yeah, I'll definitely tip my hat to him and, thank him for uh, staying a giant as long as I was a Dodger so we could uh, face each other and I could uh, take advantage of those matchups. I bet there's other sides and other ends where there's writing who absolutely dominated me, so I don't even want to talk about that. Uh, yeah, let's not uh, go there. I don't want you to start yeah, breaking right? a bat during this interview. No, no, I told you. <laughs> like you always say, softer, softer, kinder in old age. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, before I let you go, I do want to get your take on Corey Seager and the spring he had and where he's going this season. Do you feel like uh, he is a, a better version of himself from what you've seen? And what's what what's the limits for this guy at this point if he stays healthy? Well, you can vouch for me and I can vouch for you that Corey Seager has been one of our favorite players since he came up. Oh, I know, yeah. I know, I know. You've always talked about him and, and raved about him, but I've always called him my favorite player, even you know, one on the team, uh, just for the way he carries himself. Um, you know, serious guy, takes the game serious, wants to achieve big things. You know, almost stubborn to a fault sometimes, but stubbornness that you can see leads to success. And um, I mean. Yeah, like you just said, I think the sky's the limit for this guy this year. Motivated, um, hitting his stride. Uh, I always took this from uh, Donnie would always say this, Donnie uh, Maddenly there. Um, you know, guys would be banged up, whatever. He said, it's not the first year when they come back, it's the second year. He says, after that second year, when those guys come back from time off, like Corey did, you know, having that year off, or, or plus whatever he was for his, uh, you know, elbow, his, his, you know, his back, his side, whatever he had going on. Uh, it's that second year when these guys really take off and, and kind of get things going again. And, uh, you know, that's what I see kind of for Corey here. I think everything's lining up where he's going to get a full season to go out there and help this team win and show off what he's capable of doing. And I know for you, uh, I can remember sitting last summer and you talking about, how great he looked rolling into that, uh, you know, season last year. And uh, I was like, really? You think he really looks that good? I didn't get a chance to see him, you know, eye to eye. I saw him in spring training a little bit, and he was pretty sluggish of a start. And uh, you were you were dead on when you called him, uh, you know, the MVP. He didn't win the MVP of the season, but he won the MVP of uh, when it counted, right? Yeah, World Series and NLCS MVP. And I hate to break this to you, his jersey hangs in my man cave and not yours. I, hey, understandable. When you're the uh, NLCS <laughs> and, and World Series MVP and uh, the best player in the world in spring training, after that, um, I think it, it speaks for itself. Um, 
You know, if I I'm can't, not a bandwagoner though. He signed that jersey when he was a rookie for me. Is, is he Italian? No, he's honorary Italian though. Oh no, he's getting honorary Italian now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Piazza and Seeger. Those are the two jerseys. Yeah. Is he next to P- well where's uh, your boy uh um Sosha at? Uh he, he won't he the, the jersey's not signed yet. I'm a little nervous to ask him. Wow. I mean you can't use that. I have your bat but... I have I have a bat of yours that you that I was able to get from Louisville Slugger, so that's something. You could ask me. I would have got you that. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, this is awesome. I think fans are really going to enjoy uh, hearing you every week and doing this. So thank you for, for continuing to be such a great ambassador for the Dodgers. Yeah, no worries. And I uh, appreciate you having me on. And I look forward to having a great season this year with this team and um, big things ahead. And, I mean, if it's any indication, um, I know it's still – uh, you know, spring training, but those uh, that series against the Angels uh, really shows, uh, you know, what this team's capable of doing and the firepower they have, and the, obviously the pitching staff. But that offense is uh, something to be reckoned with. All right, Andre, you're the man. We'll talk to you in episode two, the day before the Dodgers get their championship rings. Should be fun. Boom! Let's go. This is Dodgers Pipeline. Scouting, the player development, the drafting. A look at the major minor league stories. Well, a lot of the young pitchers in camp in spring training were eye-opening. And Andrew Friedman told me, I would say, a week into camp that he was so excited about the fact the Dodgers had so much pitching depth. And I'm all like, yeah, that's great. Jimmy Nelson, Gonsolin May. He's like, no. Not just that, even deeper than that, our younger pitchers like Bobby Miller, Ryan Pepio, Nick Robertson, those are three real pitchers, Andre Jackson, that could possibly help the Dodgers this year. Even though they're not on the 40-man roster right now, there's an outside chance that if the Dodgers do need reinforcements, those guys may be available. I had a chance to catch up with the Dodgers pitching coach, Mark Pryor, and I did ask him about what he thought of the young pitchers in camp. Mark, you look at the young pitchers in camp. Uh, a lot of them started to raise their hands and put everybody on notice in some way. Ryan Pepio, Nick Robertson, Andre Jackson, Bobby Miller. Uh, what was your impression of these young pitchers that are seemingly getting closer to helping the big league team? Yeah, very impressed. Uh you know, I said it from the – I think I mentioned it to, to, to Doc and Connor in the, in the first game, and I think we were watching Nick Robertson, you know, uh, go through that lineup uh, in his appearance. And, you know, it just kind of, like, struck me. Like, the last time this guy's pitched, you know, I, I think at that time was he pitched against another team was, like, Ogden, you know, and that's short season A ball. And, and we were seeing it with a lot of those guys. You know, some of them hadn't even thrown a professional pitch. Landon Nack, his first professional pitch, you know, was in a spring training game. I mean, that's that's not something that's you uh, you know that goes on on a daily basis. You usually see that maybe with you know some high picks that maybe didn't play the summer before. But uh, we had a lot of those guys, and, and they took their lumps here and there. But a lot of them handled themselves extremely well. You could see they flashed the stuff that you know, obviously got them drafted. Uh, but you could see you know 
what they can do with the baseball and what they can do with the lives. Bobby Miller, his last two outings were really good and electric. I mean, and, and, and he mowed through some lineups, and, and that was fun to see. Uh, Pepio really opened up some eyes with fastball and the changeup. Um, he's somebody that definitely, you know, for people to keep an eye on. But overall, I, you know, for uh, unusual spring training and not having the minor league system going on at the same time, these guys came in and did extremely well. Uh, and I think that speaks to our scouting uh, department on the makeup, what they get from these guys when they draft them, and, and the PD department and what they've done with them in a short amount of time that they've had them. So uh, it, was, it was fun for, for us as a staff to be able to get to know them. Uh, but also excited because, like, those, some of those names are going to be here at some point in the season. I, I'm pretty sure about that. Wow, that says a lot. And uh, the one thing that I was going to ask you was whether or not it was unrealistic to believe that some of those names might be seen this year in the big leagues. Yeah, I mean, time will tell. You know, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, every year you obviously get excited about guys, and, and, and sometimes that doesn't pan out once the summer gets going. Um, but, I, you know, I think the one thing here in L.A., and, and I've seen it the last three years, and it's, and it's refreshing, and, and it's something that I think the organization's proud of. It's like if you can help this team win ball games on a daily basis, uh, you know, they'll get you on the team, and, and we've seen that. You know, we have had guys that didn't even come to spring training who were, next thing you know, they're, you know, Ferguson a few years ago wasn't in spring training. He came up. Uh, was a big part of what we did in 18. You know, uh, Victor, you know, obviously was in spring training last year, but, like, what he did for us at the end of the year last year, you know, didn't make the team initially uh, in the summer. So, we're, we're – the organization's not shy about bringing guys who can help the team win. And so, like I said, if these guys are pitching well and there's a need, um, you know, and, and, and they can fill it, I, I don't see why they won't be helping us. And, Mark, you're the perfect guy to ask about this. You were a college pitcher for USC, so a lot of these guys that we're talking about are college pitchers. How much does that help the organization since uh, they're not just out of high school? Well, I mean, I think it helps. I mean, I think it helps from a maturity standpoint. I think it helps from, you know, having a better feel of who they are as as a player. Um, You know, High school guys are the same way, though. Like, there's some really mature guys that are, you know, kind of mature beyond their years. Um, But for the most part, a lot of these guys are the college guys. So they they played against some stiff competition. Um, Probably won't be shaken by, you know, stepping into the box. Um, I mean, even looking last night, I mean, Gus Marlin comes in and and does what he does. So uh, that's been the impressive thing is it's so much, and, and this is around the league, and guys say this all the time, like, Guys just aren't scared anymore uh, when they come up. That doesn't mean that they don't get, you know, they don't take their lumps. Uh, but guys aren't scared. They're not scared of the perennial all-stars. They're not scared of the velocity from the hitter standpoint. Uh, they've been playing against a lot of, you know, a lot of these guys. They've been playing since their, you know, their youth baseball travel days, you know, whatever you want to call it. So they come in and, and they just want to compete and they know their stuff and, and they, they let it hang out there. And so it's, it's fun to watch. Uh, and creates good competition amongst our own guys. Uh, and, and so it's a lot of fun. And uh, whether it's college or high school, I think the bottom line is, is, like, can you handle, do you have the stuff to get guys out, and can you handle when things are starting to, you know, when you get a little bit of adversity, um, you know, and, and be able to minimize damage and continue to move on and, and get outs. And, and that's really what it's about is just getting outs and, and let our offense do its thing. Well, that was great insight from Dodgers pitching coach Mark Pryor on all of these great young arms the Dodgers have been able to draft. And 
I, I thought it was uh, very eye-opening that he did say that some of these guys may be seen if they pitch well during the course of the summer at some point uh, for the Dodgers in the regular season. One guy I would keep my eye on this year could be Bobby Miller. Remember Walker Bueller? He was drafted out of college out of Vanderbilt. And in 2017, the Dodgers uh, wanted to experiment with calling him up in September to see whether or not he could be effective out of the bullpen. It didn't pan out, but they were looking at it. So I wouldn't be shocked to see any one of these guys, Pepio Robertson, but I would keep your eye on Bobby Miller because uh, he is not scared and he has some real attitude on the mound. All right, we're going to close out every episode with a stat or note of the week, courtesy of our guy, producer, engineer for Dodger Radio Broadcasts, Dwayne Squeeze McDonald, and it is not going to be exit velo, WRC, sabermetric type of stuff. And as the Dodgers embark on trying to become the first repeat champions in baseball since the Yankees 20 years ago, I thought it was fitting to let you know that there have been 14 repeat champions in World Series history. Do you know how many from the National League? Three. Only three National League teams have ever repeated as champions. The 07-08 Cubs, the 21-22 Giants, and the most recent, the Big Red Machine, the 75 and 76 Cincinnati Reds. So uh, it's uh, something that hasn't occurred too often in the National League, but the Dodgers do have the talent to try to do it again. All right, that'll do it for us on this first episode of Extra Innings. You can download it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to the iHeartRadio app. Thanks to Colin Yee. Thanks to Dwayne McDonald for putting this all together and helping us uh, make this work. And uh, can't wait to talk more Dodger baseball with you on Dodger Talk and also on Extra Innings. See ya. We don't have to do anything extra. They've made a choice. This has been the Extra Innings Podcast. Extra Dodger content for Dodger fans who can't get enough of the blue. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't miss a single Dodger game at AM570LA Sports on the iHeartRadio app. 